Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. It's so good to have you with me today. My name is Chris Rogers and I am your host. This is the podcast where we try to talk about God. We try to talk about discipleship. We try to talk about what it means to live for Jesus. Uh, is We want to talk about things in a way that we talk about rich things in simple language so that we can all understand it. This podcast is the one where we want to try and take big ideas and make them engageable for all of us. Theology should not be only for the select few who see themselves as intelligent and love to read books. We all should be able to wrestle with the big things and have freedom to do so. And that's what we're doing in this podcast at the moment. We are wrestling through what is the Trinity? What does that look like? Who makes up the Trinity? Uh, why do we call them what we call them? How do we engage with? How do we understand? How do we work with? Uh, so yeah, we're wrestling through the Trinity right now. We've talked about God the Father. We've talked about the Trinity in itself. And today we're approaching the unbeatable Son. We've talked about the unfathomable Father. And now we're going to talk about the unbeatable Son. Who is Jesus? What is he about? Why is it important that we understand who he is and what he has done? Why does that matter to us as disciples? So that's what we're going to be wrestling through today. We're going to be looking at a passage from uh, Philippians 2, chapter 2, uh, together, just exploring a little bit more about the nature and the character of Jesus. So we're going to jump straight in. Here we go. Welcome to Making Disciples podcast episode on the unbeatable sun. Let's just jump in with this little piece of theology to start with. So we as Christians uh, are told and understand that Jesus is a part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're told that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. 100% plus 100% does not equal 100%. It equals 200%. Again, bad maths. Jesus is 100% God, whilst at the same time, 100% flesh. In other words... There is more for us to understand in what it means for God to be God. And there's more for us to understand what it means for us to be flesh. There's something more than we can comprehend or understand. And there's a danger if we try to say, well, Jesus is more man in flesh than God because we undermine who he is and the authority that he has. If we say, well, Jesus was more God than man, we undermine his death on the cross, the fact he was dying for humanity as humanity. So to understand that Jesus is both God in flesh, um, both flesh and God is really important. And this really comes together with the idea of the incarnation. We're told in John chapter one that, that Jesus is God, tabernacle, uh, are pitching his tent among us. God's moving into the neighborhood. God is now camped with us. And th there's so much to say about this idea of the embodiment of God in Jesus Christ, in terms of what it says to us about God's love for humanity, in terms of what God is saying really about the flesh, 
the flesh is not something evil that we should only be thriving uh, moving towards the supernatural or spiritual god loves flesh he loves dirt he loves uh, blood sweat tears god loves it so much that he moves in and 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 wears the 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 uh, flesh of the humanity there's a danger what i just said there was was heresy i don't know if you just spotted it uh, i said that god comes and and puts on the flesh of humanity which in itself could can be said and understood but it's heresy jesus is not a supernatural being wearing some human flesh to say that jesus is a supernatural being that's wearing flesh says actually it actually cheapens jesus's humanity to say that Jesus is God in a human vessel completely undermines the vessel, uh, undermines that Jesus was human. He was uh, as human as you and I are. And this is really important. Jesus was as human as you and I are, whilst at the same time as divine as God the Father himself. Both of those two things happening all at the same time, which maybe we need to change our understanding of flesh. Maybe we need to change our understanding of the body. Maybe we need to understand our understanding of ourselves. I don't know. There's there's so much in there, but we've got to bring these two things together. Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% flesh. If you go, but I don't get it, it's mind blowing. It makes no sense to me. Then I would say this, just hold it. Just hold it. Don't try to treat Jesus as a mystery to be solved. Treat Jesus as uh, a beautiful revelation, a mystery that we can adore and love and appreciate, and one day we may get it. And I think it's really important to understand that, you know, when Jesus died and rose again, there is now a part of humanity wrapped up in the godhead it isn't when jesus now goes up to heaven he abandons the flesh again and now jesus is back in heaven uh, as he was previously jesus takes the humanity back up into heaven god is ultimately changed because of the death and the resurrection of jesus god is changed because christ is now the full flesh is a part of the godhead what that means kind of mind-blowing isn't it But what I want to do uh, with us today, I'm just opening up my Bible. We're going to be turning to Philippians chapter uh, 2. Now, Philippians chapter 2 is a beautiful hymn. It's written by the early church. And Paul is quoting, it's like singing Amazing Grace. And then taking the first verse of Amazing Grace and put it into something that you're writing. That's what, what Paul is doing here. He's taking a verse from a hymn. And he's implementing it into a letter that he's writing uh, to the church uh, in Philippi. And he's using this verse of this song to kind of captivate people. He's teaching theology through song, essentially. Uh, So this is uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through to 11. I'll read it through and then we'll walk through it a little bit by bit. But essentially, Paul is writing to the church about how they should behave... He's saying, be aware of Jesus Christ, who Jesus was, what he did. Now you should do the same. So we can now look at what he's saying to understand, well, what did he understand about Jesus? They were reading it to help them understand about themselves. 
So we're using it a bit, bit differently to how Paul intended it, but it, it works. So in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And then Paul quotes this hymn as if to say, this is it if you've forgotten kids. This, this is what the mindset of Jesus was like. So verse six, Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, he became in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Okay, tons. This is rich. These words are so rich for us to understand about Jesus. So let's just look at this. Like Verse six, who being in very nature God, Jesus is in the same nature as God. So uh, in other words, Jesus is the same thing as whatever God is made up as. The, the word though that we translate as nature can also be translated as shape, character. I love the word substance because it's quite mysterious. Like what is that substance? Don't know, but Jesus and God are made out of the same thing. So who being in the very substance uh, in the same liquid, in the, in the same material as God. So Jesus is of the same building blocks as, as God the Father. Uh, they're, they're the same. They're not, they're not different. They're the same. It says being made out of the same stuff as God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. <clears throat> Actually, uh, different translations translate that last line differently. Um, but he, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used or grasped or seized for himself. Jesus considers himself equal with God the Father, but does not want to take more of what he's due. He doesn't want to see something that's not his. So he understands that he's equal to God and he's not above God, but he's equal to God. Actually, the, the phrase equal there is, is just interesting. So uh, ISA, I-S-A, yes, it means same, uh, equal, but it's actually a measuring term. If you go to a market, and you say, can I have uh, 30 grams of cola cubes? They would get a 30 gram weight, they put it on the weights, and then they would put the cola cubes on the other side of the weight, so it was equal. That, that measuring moment, that moment where you say, actually, I, on, the, on the weighing scales, we've got the same here, the weight and the cola bottles, or the cola cubes, <clears throat> they're of the same weight, that is what Jesus is doing. He does not consider himself uh, beyond what he is. He sees himself as equal to God, measured out, equal to God, identical in that, in that way. And then he says, so who being very nature God did not consider himself e uh, equal with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made 
himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So this God, who's equal to the Father, does not fight for or tussle for what he has. Rather, he is willing to make himself nothing, taking a new nature. So remember, the hymn said that he has the nature of God, and then the hymn now says, by taking the very nature of a servant. So the, the, the being that has the same character and substance of God isn't grabbing hold and clinging on to anything, but this God, he's choosing to take the new nature, a nature of a servant. In fact, the phrase there, servant, isn't quite strong enough. It really would be better as slave, taking the very nature of a slave. In other words, this God is willing to take orders from the other half, from the other bit, from God the Father. And he's choosing to take a new nature of a servant and a slave. And he's choosing to be made to, uh, in, in the likeness of a human being. So he's not choosing to stay where he is or stay with what he has got. He's choosing to be now made in a human likeness. So verse 8 says, And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. So this God is a God who's choosing to humble himself to connect with humanity. Actually, he humbled himself. This again could be translated slightly differently. You know, when you translate a Greek and Hebrew word, we're making choices over what's the best English word to match that Greek or Hebrew word. So we've chosen the word humbled himself here. But actually, it could be translated as humiliated himself. The God of the universe has humiliated himself by putting on stinky flesh and blood. And being found in the appearance of a man, he's humiliated himself. So there's something really important here to understand about the character and nature of, of this God that we call Jesus. He's equal to the Father, but he's not choosing to cling on to that. He's choosing to make a way towards humanity and he's hum humiliating himself to become human. And it goes on by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This God that created life is now the God that's willing for his life to be taken away for the purposes of humanity being saved. So Jesus, 100% God, 100% flesh. He's, he's God uh, in nature, character, shape and substance. There's nothing that would separate him out from God the Father. Like, he's the same substance as God the Father, whilst at the same time he's humbled himself and he's now in the appearance of a man. He's now in flesh and blood. So the nature has changed. He's taken a new nature or a new substance, but he is still the same. Now, this death on the cross, it says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word Lord there is beautiful. Kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S, Kurios. And uh, it's somebody who exercises a supernatural authority that every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is this supernatural king. So God the Father 
exalts Jesus to the highest position that he could have, that at the name of Jesus, uh, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So Jesus, God in flesh, God supernatural, incarnate, uh, fully God, fully man, all together. Now, what's really interesting and quite fun is in the Greek Roman culture, they had a temple uh, and it was known as the Heron, H-E-R-O-A-N. And this, there was one of these in Philippi. And these temples were temples to human heroes. And these human heroes were people who had done amazing deeds and they were to be recognized as heroes. And human beings wanted to be put into a statue of themselves, put into this temple so that people would know that they were a hero. And the idea was that they were now above humanity. They were greater than humanity because they were now a supernatural hero. Paul, writing here to this church, says, no, go in the opposite direction. Don't go in the direction of humanity that wants to be glorified. Go in the direction of Jesus, who was the hero, who then chooses to step off that podium, to put on the flesh and blood, to meet humanity and become obedient to death, even death on the cross. It's in this place of humility that we find out who Jesus really is. So Jesus says things about himself and teaches things about himself and reveals things about himself. You know, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is a mirror of the Father. Is, is of the same substance. We already know that from, from the Philippians verses of the same nature, character, substance, building blocks is the same. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God the Father. I, they're no different. It's just that Jesus comes to reveal the unknowable God to us that he may become knowable. So Jesus tells us a few things like, number one, this God doesn't do or say what we expect gods to do and say Jesus does not behave the way we expect him to behave so if Jesus walked into the room today where you are what would he say to you would Jesus walk up to you and say I'm so sick and tired of you all of your false starts all of your lies all of your promises you just keep getting yourself into crap you never commit to anything, you avoid the truth, you take what you can, you're selfish, you're arrogant. Is that what Jesus would do? Point at you and say, repent, get on your knees, you're a sinner, repent. Is that what Jesus would be like? Jesus, God in flesh, doesn't do or say what we expect God in flesh to do and say. Jesus does not come with a wagging finger. No, in fact, this Jesus comes and to each human being that he stands before, he says this, I love you. Do you believe that? I love you. Do you believe that? I desire you. I long to hear the sound of your voice. Come away with me. Run away with me. Come and hide with me. I love you. This God in flesh does not do or say what we expect him to do or say. This God in flesh does not come with a wagging finger, but he comes to whisper those words, I love you, do you believe me? I desire you, I long to hear the sound of your voice. 
come away with me, run away with me. Let's hide together. Jesus does not do or say what we expect him to say. Two, it's this unrestricted, fierce love of God that is embodied in Jesus. What Jesus embodies in that flesh is the full, unrestricted, unreserved, fierce love of God. God wants us to have a love affair with him and his son, Jesus. And he shows us this through Jesus on the cross. Jesus loves us as we are and not as we think we should be. It's this unrestricted, fierce love of God that is embodied in Jesus. If you want to see the love of God, we see that in no better place than the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. So God does not say what we expect him to do and say. Jesus has a different way. Two, in Jesus, we experience the unrestricted, fierce love of God. So three, in Jesus, God is willing to get his hands dirty. God isn't a human hater, but a human lover, and willing to get dirt under his nails. The cross is God's trophy of love and grace. God is not someone who wants to get somebody else to do his dirty work for him. God is not somebody who looks at his garden and says, my garden needs work. I'm going to employ a gardener to do the work and get somebody else to do the hard graft. No, God is the one who puts on the flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood. Now, when I say God puts his, this is where we've got to get our heads around it a little bit. There's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's Jesus, the son, who puts on the flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood. Jesus has always been, uh, always has been, uh, always is and always will be. Now, how how is Jesus always been? Jesus was there at the time of creation. We're told in John chapter one that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. This is really important. He was, the, uh, was God in the beginning. We're told that Jesus is the word made flesh. He was there at the beginning of time. Jesus has always been. He was there at the beginning. He is now and he is at the end. Jesus didn't suddenly appear the day that he was born out of Mary. That's the moment that Jesus puts on flesh and blood. Before that, Jesus existed. The word of God, uh, the, the mouthpiece of God, he existed. He's always existed. It's just that when he was born, he's now taking on that flesh and blood. So in the Godhead, Jesus has always been, always been throughout time, which means we must be able to see him cropping up and appearing in the Old Testament. The answer is yes, of course we do. There's a story in the scriptures, in the book of Daniel, of Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego in the furnace, have been thrown into the furnace to be killed by the, the king. In that moment, we are told that a divine being, like the Son of God, appears with them in the fiery furnace. That person appearing in the furnace at that moment in time, that is Jesus. We are told that in the Exodus story, there's this little bit of a story where Abraham has three divine beings who come and have dinner with him. These three divine beings are described as, as angels, angelic angels, but they're not angels, we're told. We're told that they're more than that. There is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's three divine 
beings, angel-like beings, divine beings, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit appearing to Abraham. Jesus existed in all of time and goes on to exist in all of time. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is a part of the Holy Trinity and always has done and always will be. And in Jesus, we're told that Jesus, God is willing to get his hands dirty. The central act of Jesus on the cross is God getting down and fighting dirty for his children. The Jesus movement isn't a label we now wear, but an invitation to the very heart and nature of God. The very heart and nature of God is to get his hands dirty. That's who Jesus is. My fourth little point is this. Jesus shows us that God wants to be involved. He knows what it feels like to wear skin, to be human, to be flesh and blood. And Jesus shows us that God wants to be involved with humanity. The fifth thing is this. Jesus shows us God can't be beaten. Jesus' death on the cross shows us that Jesus cannot be beaten. God cannot be beaten. Even when chopped down, even when it looks like it is over, God still wins. It's while looking like he is losing that he is ultimately winning. It's when beaten, bleeding and breathless, God is ultimately in charge and is at his most powerful. See, God gets what he wants, us. That's what God wants. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to be with him. And that is what Jesus is doing on the cross. God cannot be beaten. He's dying on the cross to save humanity, getting his hands dirty. So what is our response then to Jesus? What is our response to this third part of the Trinity? How do we respond? Well, let me read that out to you from Philippians. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Bowing is worshipping. Every knee will adore him and worship him in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's interesting, isn't it? That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So those in heaven are bowing, those on earth shall bow, and those under the earth? Jesus is so powerful, even those in hell are going to have to bow before him. They're not going to get away from not bowing before him, even there going to have to bow before him and worship him there's no getting out of worshiping jesus and adoring him for for who he is you can run away from it you can try and run away and hide as much as you can but ultimately there'll come a day where you have to acknowledge who jesus is that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that jesus christ is kurios Somebody who exercises supernatural authority. Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's how we respond. We, we respond by worshipping Jesus. Adoring Jesus. As a part of the Trinitarian dance. The gods who puts on flesh and blood to reach out to humanity, to understand what it feels to be beaten and broken, to get his hands dirty so that we, we would come into full relationship with him. This, friends, is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is and this is who he is in the Godhead right now. The God that has always been has put on flesh and blood. He died and rose again and now seated on the throne 
is Jesus in his flesh and blood with his hands pierced for humanity. That's where Jesus is right now. He's not taken off that flesh. It's a part of him. It's a part of who he is. I hope you find that interesting, inspiring. I hope it ultimately moves you to a place of worship. 100% God, 100% flesh, died for humanity, coming to show us how much he loves us, humbling and humiliating himself on the cross for you and I. I hope and pray that you found that helpful. Until next time, grace and peace.